Genesis chapter 2, verse 2 to 3, and can be found on page 4 in the church Bible. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. The second reading is in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verse 8 to 11. can be found on page 78 of the Church Bible. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Lynn. Let's just have a moment of resting before the Lord in prayer as we come to these texts. to give us a a real sense of of what rest in you looks like and could feel like as we spend this time together. And I pray to give us a, a real excitement for growing in Sabbath rest. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is the start of a new sermon series where we're going to look at all these whatabouts and and we start with, what about Sabbath rest? And as we hit the topic, I can, I can really hear sort of objections flowing in because they're in my head as well. I'm too busy to take a Sabbath. You've got no idea, Guy, of the kind of work pressure that I'm under. I'll lose my job if I take a day off when I don't do any work. Plus, Sabbaths are boring. I mean, come on, get with the plot. I've got more interesting things to do than rest. I'm an interesting person. I need to be doing interesting things. And then, isn't Sabbath an outdated concept? Um, Didn't Jesus make Sabbath irrelevant? Haven't you read any of the New Testament? Come on, get with the plot. But I wonder if you followed any of the studies on our generation and how badly we rest, uh, even how badly we sleep. Um, You might have seen some studies that have said that our uh, sleeping time on average has dropped down to 
six hours and 19 minutes for an average night, even though medically we're advised to offer our bodies eight hours each night. And according to uh, authors such as Matthew Walker, uh, this means that we've got an increased chance of heart disease and, and cancer and even things like Alzheimer's. And the the pace that we live at causes us to break down in a variety of ways. One of my friends, while he was working for a bank, woke up one morning and found that he just couldn't get out of bed. So he grabbed his phone and he phoned in. I said, I I just can't do this today. And the bank said, okay, well, you just uh, have some rest. And he did. Uh, He slept for 48 hours, almost straight, except for going to the loo and getting some water. And a couple of months later, he did that again, sleeping for 48 hours. In fact, that same friend of mine, when he bought a house, he's just about to uh, have their first child, uh, and he decided he needed to paint the nursery. So he started painting well into the, the early hours of the morning, uh, needed to sit down with his paintbrush because he couldn't stand any longer. And then he went to sleep with paintbrush in hand, sort of still thinking that he was painting, woke up a couple of hours later with his paintbrush still in his hand uh, and carried on the work of painting uh, their first child's bedroom. It's crazy, uh, the abuse that we put our bodies under when we don't give them rest and we don't give them sleep. And in my profession, if you can call sharing Jesus with someone uh, all day long, our prof- my profession, uh, we aren't any better at having rest. We, on average, I think, burn out our clergy in their late 50s and early 60s, which is meant to be the primary, the the perfect time uh, for leadership. And so I know that that rest and and sleep just aren't a a fashionable thing uh, in our time, but I think even without unpacking the Bible texts, we can see that we've got a problem in our generation. We've got a problem in our culture when it comes to rest. And if we just follow the tide of the culture, we're going to end up in some serious deep waters. You would have heard the expression YOLO, you only live once. And I want to say you only live once, so don't burn yourself out too quickly in this one life that you've been given here on earth. So to examine uh, biblically this topic of rest and Sabbath rest in particular, we're going to be walking through the Bible texts. And we're going to start off with Genesis 2, then we're going to have a look at Exodus 20, uh, Deuteronomy 5, and finally we're going to grab a couple of passages uh, from Mark chapter 2. So we start uh, in the Genesis story, and we're before the fall at this stage, in Genesis 2. Uh, God has just made the whole earth, the whole world, in um, uh, six days, and then we read what happens on the seventh. So Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 to 3. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he'd been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So the first thing to point out uh, is the subject of this passage. 
It isn't the animals. It isn't humankind. It's God. He is the subject. God has been working through the process of creation. Um, and in fact, in a, in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to look at this topic uh, of work, which is absolutely vital. Um, and uh, Tim Keller points out, the American pastor points out, uh, that at our understanding of work, the importance of work, the, uh, the value of work has been downgraded through the ages, in particular um, by the Greek philosopher kings who looked down on work. They, they saw it as something uh, that is necessary, um, but potentially necessary for other people if possible. And if we can't work, we shouldn't. If we don't have to work, we shouldn't. Um, the Bible's understanding of work is, is much uh, elevated above that, where we see work as a good thing. And even right at the beginning of the Bible, we see God at work. And we see work in there, in Eden, in the ideal garden, where God interacts with humankind before the fall. And in fact, there's every indication that on the new earth, in renewed creation, we will work and God will put us to work. And we'll discuss this in a few weeks' time. But we've got God here. After his six days of creating, he rested. We've got an all-powerful creator of the world. And he rested. He didn't need to do it, but he did it as a pattern for us to follow. And so the first thing that we can say about Sabbath is that it's a day of rest. And then we see that he blessed the seventh day, and he had just blessed the animals in verse 22 and humans in verse 28, both times saying, be fruitful and increase in number. And so we see the Sabbath is a day which is set apart and which will be a blessing. There will be fruitfulness for those who take it. American pastor John Mark Comer comments, no matter how much you love your job or fine-tune your work-life balance, by the end of the week you're tired, your fuel cells are empty, but rest refills us with energy creativity, vision, strength, optimism, buoyancy, clarity, and hope. Rest is life-giving. And then God does the craziest thing. He makes the seventh day holy. And holy is a godlike attribute. It's, a, it's an otherness. It's a set-apartness from everything else. And this is crazy because the first thing that's made holy in the Bible isn't a place, and it's not a person or a people. Rather, the first thing that God makes holy in the Bible is a time. He sets a time aside. And my question is, is your understanding of the time of Sabbath as elevated as God's is? And this idea that uh, the Sabbath can be set apart as a time indicates the, the types of activities we would expect to do on the Sabbath. 
Worship is the word that you associate with holiness. So to summarize these two verses right at the beginning, uh, we learn that Sabbath is a day of rest, uh, a day that is set apart, devoted to God. And the two activities that we expect on a Sabbath are number one, rest, and number two, worship. And those two words are going to be quite useful. If you've got a question in your mind, should I be doing this thing on the Sabbath? Then you might be asking yourself, is it restful and is it worship to God? And so, so that's Genesis 2. Now we're going to move forward in history till we get to this point in Exodus 20. And we're at a time here where the people of Israel have been formed. They've spent 400 years in slavery in Egypt. And now following the plagues, uh, they've been released from, uh, by Pharaoh. And they find themselves wandering in the desert as a people. They're led by Moses. And they need some principles to guide them by as a people. And so they're given the Ten Commandments by the Lord on Mount Sinai. Here's number four. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day it's a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So right off, you might say, yes, tick. There's stuff in here that I'd expect to find, having read Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3. Uh, I would expect there to be something about it being restful. Yes, it's in there. It's holy. It's set apart. Yes, this is great. But then we learn a few more things about Sabbath from this text as well. We find out who shouldn't work. Have a look in verse 10. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, servant, animals, etc. We find out that the Sabbath isn't just for individuals, but in fact, it's for the community. It's a community activity. It's something that a household does together, allowing everyone in the household to rest. And if we're tempted to think that this commandment is just for the nation of Israel, God roots Sabbath in the rationale of verse 11. The reason for Sabbath is that it is secured in pre-fall creation. This isn't something that's going to change, but rather something that has always been and forever will be. So here we go. Are you ready for another absolutely crazy statement? I believe that there is going to be Sabbath on the new earth. We're going to go to heaven with our Lord, and then there's going to be a new earth or a renewed earth, which is going to be prepared for us, the place that we rule with him. And I think that on six days we're going to be working, and there's every indication that there'll be work on the renewed earth, And if there is work on the renewed earth, I believe that he's going to give us a Sabbath rest as well. Because that's what it was like in the perfect creation of Eden. And it appears that's what it's going to be like as well 
in our renewed creation. So Sabbath is something that has always been, and I believe always will be. Isn't that a high view of Sabbath? Is your view of Sabbath that high? Is it as high as God's view of Sabbath? Also, we see something uh, in here about how God understands work. It isn't just our nine-to-five job. Rather, it's much broader than that. It includes what servants do in our household. It's, it's washing, it's cleaning, it's tidying. You see, it's, it's too easy to decide that we're going to have a day off, and then we just fill it with everything else that's work that we aren't able to do during Monday to Friday and our nine-to-five. We fill it with busting out those 50 Christmas cards or batch cooking the, the five meals that just get us set up for the week or paying the bills or cleaning the house or sending that email that needs to be sent uh, or doing the laundry that needs to be done. And, and this is all important work. But this is the point, is that all that stuff is work. And so if you work Monday to Friday, here's my suggestion, is that you have Monday to Friday for your paid work, and then you have Saturday for your unpaid work that needs to be done, but it's still work. And then you have Sunday as a day of Sabbath, a day of rest. How does that sound? Now, moving on, the the Ten Commandments appear twice in the Bible. I wonder who knows this. Uh, The first time they appear is is here in in Exodus chapter 20, and the second time they appear is in Deuteronomy, which is the second law, and they appear in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And Deuteronomy chapter 5, the the Sabbath commandment is very, very similar to what we read in Exodus chapter 20. However, um, there's something slightly different in the end, which changes the rationale uh, for Sabbath. This is what it says. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So here is another fantastic reason for Sabbath-taking. The people of Israel knew what it was like to be slaves. They had been captives in Israel. They had been forced to work by Pharaoh's slave drivers, never being allowed a day off. And then finally, they were freed. They were saved. They were redeemed. They were emancipated. They were called out of Egypt and into the desert with the whole community to come to a place of rest and to worship the Lord. But yet their temptation was always to return to that place of captivity, that place of slavery. And we might feel like London is a long, long way away from ancient Egypt, but we are always tempted to sell ourselves into work situations where we are driven harder and faster. 
John Mark Homer again, comments that from 1973 to 1990, the average work week in the States increased from 41 hours to uh, 47 hours. And at the same time, uh, time spent on rest decreased by 37%. And, and that's, that's 1990. It is 47 hours. So that's pre-Blackberries and iPhones and iPads and laptops and whatever else, which means that we just constantly work when we go home as well as working from our workplace. We're always tempted to return to slavery, and we need to hear the Lord saying to us, even in London today, you've been freed, you've been saved, you've been redeemed, you've been emancipated. You do not need to be a slave to work. That's not where your identity lies. You are not a slave. You are free. You have come out of Egypt. Therefore, from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, observe the Sabbath. Okay, so that's a whistle-stop tour of the Old Testament. And now we're going to hit some New Testament objections So now I've got to say that Jesus came into a world and into a culture, a Jewish culture, which is completely different to our culture. He came into a place uh, where they weren't lax on the Sabbath like we are. Um, we, We hardly observe it in our country if we observe it at all. Instead, uh, this Jewish culture that he came into was a people who um, had created 1,500 laws, uh, rules, guidelines to surround the 613 uh, rules that they found in the Torah in Scripture because they didn't want to break those rules. And and yes, I think it probably came from a good heart initially. Uh, It came from a heart of of wanting to do right and honor God. Um, But at the same time, It took something that was blessed, uh, something that was life-giving in in the Sabbath, something that was restful, and it turned it into something that was sterile, something that was legalistic, and something that was stressful. So in Mark chapter 2, we read of Jesus and his disciples, and they're walking through a grain field on the Sabbath. And Jesus' disciples pick up some grain and they start eating it. And, oh no, call the the, the Pharisee missioner police. They've just done some work on the Sabbath, according to the missioner. They've just broken one of the 1,500 rules. And these Pharisees are onto Jesus like a rash. And so our question is, how does Jesus respond in this case? Mark chapter 2, verse 27. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You aren't to be ruled by the Sabbath. The Sabbath isn't your God. Yahweh is your God. But instead... The Sabbath was made for you. 
It was made for your blessing. It was made for your productivity. It was made as a time to commune with your God. So in our focus on Jesus as our saviour and our redeemer, sometimes we forget about Jesus as our teacher. And he was the best teacher of all. He knows us perfectly. He knows what's best for us. And so in his love, he gives us this gift of the Sabbath, of rest, not to rule us, but for our flourishing. The Pharisees had got it the wrong way around, but Jesus doesn't relegate the Sabbath. He promotes it. And then secondly, we find that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, Jesus isn't Lord of insignificant things that are about to disappear, but he is Lord of important things that remain. And Jesus sometimes appeared to be a little bit cheeky on the Sabbath, letting his disciples pick grain in full view of the Pharisees or or healing people on the Sabbath. And he seems to heal more people on the Sabbath than any other day. But he does this because he cares about the Sabbath and he wants to correct their understanding of it. And I think that if Jesus came into our world and he came into our time, he'd have a very different message for us concerning the Sabbath, since we've seesawed from the legalism of the Pharisees and past that life-giving seriousness that the Sabbath is meant to have and into a place of license at the other side. And so I think we should say to each other, let's take Sabbath as seriously as Jesus did, wanting to correct ourselves on this really important day, which is created as a blessing for us. Okay, now I just wonder where we might have got to the point where you've said to us, Guy, I'm convinced biblically that the Sabbath is a good thing, and I should be taking it. And if that's the case, that's a win. But let's start getting into the practical questions of Sabbath, uh, if we're going to institute the Sabbath. John Ortberg, uh, another pastor in the States, has this idea of training, not trying. And he sets it out like this. He says, how about I say to you, I would like you to run a marathon today. You might go out and try to run a marathon, but you'll most probably fail. And if you do so, you might say, I never want to try running a marathon again. And he says, instead of trying, let's rather train. And he applies this to spiritual disciplines, um, such as um, reading the Bible and and praying and, and fasting. And I think we're going to apply it to Sabbath as well. So if we train rather than try. If we build up um, our Sabbath take, instead of trying to run a marathon, rather we do a couch to 5Ks and then over the next couple of months, it it might take six months, but but a whole lot of us might be able to to build up towards a marathon. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to do marathons. Um, That's out of the scope of the Bible. But doing Sabbath is inside the scope of the Bible. So how can we train rather than trying when it comes uh, to Sabbath rest. 
what could it look like? Well, my day off is, is Friday, so uh, that's currently my, my, my Sabbath day. And on Thursday evening, 6 p.m., I turn my phone off for 24 hours. Because for me, uh, Sabbath rest needs to include being tech-free. I can't be looking at my phone, which has uh, WhatsApps from, uh, from lots of people, and emails from lots of people, and iMessages, and, and, and whatever else. That just doesn't help me in my rest. So to honor God, I need to be tech-free on my Sabbath. And then, um, and, I, and I think it needs, needs to include, let's be positive about Sabbath, not just what do we stop, but what does it include? Uh, I think it needs to include things for me like green spaces where we can spend time in the natural world, just soaking it in. So we often uh, drive down to Greenwich Park, or I run to Greenwich Park, and MJ meets me in the car, and we spend time in nature. On exercise, that's something that some people are divided on, but, but the question we need to be asking for everything uh, that we could do on the Sabbath is, is it restful? And is it worshipful? So for some people, uh, exercise can be restful. And if that's the case for you, do some exercise if that works. But for some of the people, the, the idea of doing exercise is just a huge amount of work. And I want to say to you, then don't do exercise on the Sabbath. Do rest in the way that works for you. Is it restful and is it worshipful? Maybe uh, for some people, jogging down the Thames towards Greenwich Park, uh, listening to some worship music in your ears, or listening to John Mark Comer's book uh, called uh, Garden City, which I've quoted along the way on Audible, is just the kind of rest that works for you. But maybe that's not you. Is it restful and is it worshipful? And then there's another thing that I love to eradicate on my Sabbath rest day as much as possible, and that is hurry. We live in a world with the gods of speed and efficiency, but Sabbath is a day where we put those gods into their place. We can slow down on the Sabbath. We can have large margins so that we don't have to rush to church and be late. And we don't have to rush to our next appointment after church. Because Sabbath is a day when we rest. And, and I know that there are going to be practical difficulties in taking a Sabbath rest. But if we prioritize Sabbath, we're a whole lot more likely to take it. I, my wife and I were chatting about Sabbath yesterday, and we need to be realistic about Sabbath. We've got three little boys, and MJ's heavily pregnant. Um, we've got busy lives and a busy job. Um, but if we prioritize Sabbath, we're more likely to take it than if we don't prioritize it. We can also be distinctive as Christians with our Sabbath-taking Eric Liddell was probably the fastest runner in the world in 1924. Uh, he had competed in a number of 100-meter races when he got to the Olympics. But he found out that the Olympic 100-meter final was on a Sunday, 
And Sunday was his Sabbath. And for him, God came before running. And Eric would have been able to do a certain amount for the Lord in being distinctive as a Christian, being a Christian witness and winning the 100-meter race. But he is able to do so much more as a distinctive Christian by saying, I won't run on Sunday because my God is Yahweh and it's not success. And amazingly, the Lord honored him by allowing him to win the 400-meter race in that Olympics. And so we can say, yes, the work that we do is honoring to God. And we can serve him in our workplace by our excellence in our work and our attitude towards our co-workers who we work with. But, But my question is, are you cutting corners in your Christian distinctiveness when it comes to Sabbath rest? And could you honor God equally in your workplace by being distinctive in that way too? Jesus said that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Is he he the Lord of your Sabbath? How can you train rather than trying when it comes to Sabbath rest? How can you see your Sabbath rest time as holy, as set apart for rest and for worship with our God? Let's pray.